Welcome to the Data Stack Show. Each week, we explore the world of data by talking to the people shaping its future. You'll learn about new data technology and trends and how data teams and processes are run at top companies. The Data Stack Show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. You can learn more at rudderstack.com. Welcome back. Really excited to talk to our guest, Igor, today. He founded a company called Big Guy, and they are in the data quality space. And it's a really interesting topic. I think my burning question, Costas, is really what does data quality look like in an organization? And when do those problems start to become really acute? We've talked about scale a lot. The startup that's two people in a garage are just querying their Postgres database and they don't even really have a sense of what their data is going to look like. And then at scale at a company like Uber, where Igor spent time working, building data products, it's a completely different game. So I'm interested in his perspective on when the problems become acute. When do you need tooling around data quality? How about you? Yeah, I think I would start by like trying together with Igor to define what exactly is data quality, or at least like give uh, some kind of better definition. It's one of these terms that like together with some other stuff that they go under the uh, broader umbrella of products related to data governance that we talk a lot about them. We use the terms a lot, like quality is something that it's very easy for anyone to have an opinion on quality. But I don't think that we really have a very clear definition of what data quality is. And I'd love to try and like make this much more clear today with Igor. And I'm sure that we will have like more stuff to, to chat with him. Absolutely. We always do. Well, let's dive in. Let's do it. Igor, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you with us today. Thanks a lot for having me, Eric and Costas. It's great to be on the show. All right. Many exciting things to talk about, but as always, would love to hear about your background and then hear about Big Eye. Oh, definitely. So I'm Igor. I'm the co-founder and CTO of Big Eye. My background is as a software engineer that fell into the data space. My, my first job, I was working on call center analytics. We were working on a new platform using Hadoop, which back in 2012 was the hot new technology. At that point in time, we were writing raw Java MapReduce jobs and just trying to process information, understand how do we even make Hadoop and MapReduce into a scalable solution. Obviously now there's a lot better technologies out there for scaling analytics, but it was definitely an interesting introduction to the world of data. From there, I got into data warehousing. I joined a company called One Kings Lane, which is an e-commerce company. My team set up the data warehousing stack from infrastructure all the way through ETL and data modeling and visualization. So I got a taste of what does the whole space look like? How do you scale a data platform from the lowest level, which is just set up your database and get the data in there all the way through what do the analysts use? How do we present dashboards? What tooling do we want there? An interesting part, something interesting about that experience was we were one of the first Looker users yeah, we actually had some of the, I think one of the co-founders come in and uh, present to us because this was really? just, when Looker was just getting started. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So what, so remind me what, what time period is that? So this is 2013, 2014. Okay. Yeah. 
So, yeah, wild. Okay, yeah. Just on the last couple of shows, we've talked about what it was like to build a stack back then versus now, right? I mean, just drastically different. And like, of course, Looker is now part of Google, and so that's that's amazing. It's it's very it was very different back then. Back then, everything was hand rolled. We wrote so many Bash and Python scripts just to make everything work together, and the options back then for analytics and BI were really either mode or uh, looker for yeah. the more modern ones, or you go with something like Tableau or MicroStrategy if you have people who are using that. But we decided to try out looker and it was interesting just to get into LookML. They had some really great ideas even back then. I was ah. being really excited. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. And so from there, I actually late 2014 joined Uber. Uber at this point was trying to scale their analytics and their data team. They were doing all of their analytics on a Postgres replica. There were a few of these replicas that wasn't scaling. The company at that time was 1800 people or so. So we had the experience of building out the data platform, My myself, plus a couple of other folks joined and started the data and a warehouse team at Uber, did the same thing that we did at One Kings Lane, but at 100x the pace and scale, set up the infrastructure, all the ETL necessary, data modeling, just corralling people into telling us how does the business look at the data and what does it mean, all the visualization stuff. And by late 2015, early 2016, once the base core was there, the platform was there. I worked on a lot more specific projects. I did a stint in ad tech. I worked on the experimentation platform, which I ended up being the tech lead for, for my last two years at Uber. And then I also worked and contributed to some of the core data platform efforts. Wow. And just, this is a quick, just nerd question from a marketer who does a lot of testing. Did you, was your, was your testing platform hand-rolled in-house? Yes. Everything, everything at Uber in general was hand-rolled in-house. I think this is a little bit of a engineering fallacy of we can do it better. We know how to build something better than (laughs) what we could buy. And I think it's still prevalent today. It was definitely prevalent back then, but a lot of, things that Uber was building in-house were very specific and hyper-focused to the problems that Uber was experiencing, which were generally not the same problems that every other company would experience. The pacing, the scale, the types of data that we had, it was all fairly unique compared to what else was on the market. Yeah. Yeah. I I just asked because testing infrastructure is, I mean, a lot of things in the data space are non-trivial, but when you think about statistical significance and there's a lot of math that goes into it, when you get into multivariate stuff, it gets into pretty gutsy mathematics in addition to like executing software that has a very, it's at the sharp end of like user experience. And so it's just, that it just seems like a very complex to build. Yeah. And I, there, it's interesting that you bring up, um, statistical significance on the experimentation platform team. The, my biggest project there was an experiment analytics tool 
where users would come, pick the metrics that they want, pick their experiment, and then the tool would go and compute the metrics, run all the statistical analysis necessary, and then tell, show them statistical significance on that. And it was a really interesting experience scaling that out and making it generic enough where it could be used with any experiment and any metric, but huh. at the same time, still corralling everybody into a sane set of metrics that everyone needs to look at. Right. Like, just basic. How many trips are being taken? And is your experiment yeah, yeah. negatively affecting that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of goes back to like the hardest part about any analytics are actually just the definitions <laughs> across the company. <laughs> I, I could definitely get into that. There was, I know there's actually a lot of tools nowadays that are starting to address metric definitions and consistency. You have this superset, you have transform. They're all working to um, help businesses standardize their metric definitions. At Uber, same problem. It's a large business. Everyone defines metrics differently. Yep. And I remember part of the difficulty was just getting everyone on the same page of even what is a trip? What is revenue? How do you yeah. count uh, fair splits and making sure that all of this is, all of this works into the definition of the metric and that every team can actually meaningfully use it. Sure. Love it. Well, thank you for taking a little, going down a little rabbit hole there. Uh, super fascinating, but tell, okay. So Uber and now big eye. Now, now big eye. And so big eye uh, is a data quality platform. We want to help people ensure that their data is high quality, that it's fit for use. And we are building a platform that helps them monitor their data and constantly tell them whether something is going wrong or not with their data so that people can know ahead of time rather than being unpleasantly surprised when they open a broken dashboard. Yeah, totally. And so could you just give us a couple of like use cases, right? So companies are collecting this type of data and then there's some sort of aberration or derivation or like, could you just give us a use case maybe from a, a customer or just to give our audience an idea of this is what it looks like in action? Sure. So I actually bet that every single one of the uh, one of your listeners has experienced the data quality problem at some point in the past and probably as recent as earlier this week. So data quality problems really range from anything as simple as, well, the, our vendor told us that they would deliver the data by Monday at 8 a.m. and they did not. And now it's Tuesday and mm. we don't have our data yet. So this is known as freshness or latency issues where the data just isn't being refreshed on time. This isn't always third-party data. Sometimes this is internal data that just doesn't get updated for whatever reason. Yep. For, then from there, you move on to more interesting cases of data quality, such as, let's say your business has, on average, 10,000 uh, users logging in a day. And you can look at your logins table and you can see the fluctuation. You're like, it's right around 10,000, maybe a little bit more users during the week, less on the weekends, but it's in a reasonable range. Now, what if all of a sudden 100,000 users signed in because you're getting spammed by a bunch of bots? 
you would want to know about that before all that information goes into your uh, analytics and you're presenting this dashboard to your head of growth. And it's like, look, we just 10X our business overnight, but that's not real data. But you don't know that because you're not actually looking at the data before you're using it. And yeah. so there's a lot of examples of data quality problems, but it always boils down to the question of, can I trust my data and can I actually make accurate decisions with the data that I'm using? You mentioned your journey through Uber. You worked like in many different things, right? There, as you said, like you started from pretty much like building the whole infrastructure, had many projects later on. What made you focus with big eye on quality? Why do you think of like quality is important or at least why you are so excited about it? I'm excited about quality because it was one of the biggest pain points that we had when we were first building out the data platform over at Uber. The number of times that somebody would message us on Slack, it was a hip chat back then, but same, same. Someone would message us and say, something looks wrong with my query. I'm pulling up this dashboard. These numbers don't make sense. And that's about it. There's zero other visibility into what they mean by something goes wrong. Yeah. And this happens over and over and over again. And sometimes it's internal analysts and data scientists talking to the data engineering team, which, is, which was the case for us. Sometimes it's the executive looking at some KPI dashboard who then messages an analyst and says, this smells uh, fishy. Like something looks wrong in this graph. Can you double check this for me? If the analyst doesn't have a place to go to and say, all of the data that is feeding this dashboard is high quality and trustworthy and is at least consistent with what we expect that data to look like, if they can't say that with high confidence, then that analyst has to go and waste all their time and probably spend half a day just digging through a bunch of tables and SQL queries, just trying to understand why does something look wrong. Now, th the problem of data quality is even more acute today because it's so much easier to scale data platforms today. Hmm. If you think about even 2014, 2015, when we were building out platforms, everything had to be rolled in-house. There wasn't that much tooling around. You would buy a data warehousing solution. At that point, it was either Vertica or Teradata. If you were really ahead of the curve, maybe you're already adopting Snowflake. Redshift uh, was also a common one in, uh, then. So you, bought, you get one of these solutions, and then you're kind of left on your own. Great. I have a place to put my data. Now what do I do with it? Well, now you build out these processes to make sure you're ingesting it and modeling it and presenting it in a um, very controlled manner. And so everyone had eyes on the data pretty much all the time. There would be an analyst who's responsible for that specific data set, that specific dashboard, and they would know what it looks like. They would have a gut feel for what it looks like, and they could identify issues early. In today's world, if I were to build out a data platform of, at any business today in 2021, it would take me a matter of days. I would go to Snowflake and I swipe a credit card and I get a, a data warehouse. I go to Fivetran, I swipe a credit card, I get my ETL. And I go to Looker or Mode or 
Tableau and I swipe a credit card, I get a BI tool. And all of a sudden I have this full pipeline going and the amount of data that I can get into my warehouse and actually start using for business decisions has grown exponentially because I can just connect as many things that I want through Fivetran. All of a sudden I have my marketing data going here and I have all my sales data going here and I have my product data going here. And I'm just one data engineer and I can't meaningfully know what should this data look like? Is it correct? Can people be using it? And so now I'm fielding all these questions from the business saying, well, my dashboard looks wrong. And my only answer to that is, well, the pipeline's running fine. So mm. I have no idea what else is going on there. And so because of that, data engineering today does not scale linearly with, from a headcount perspective with the amount of data that is actually being used by the business. And so because of that, data teams need a lot more tooling in order to actually scale with the business and scale with their data growth. And so that's why right now is such a good time to focus on building tools around scaling, helping data teams scale. So for example, data quality, understanding wh where your data is coming from, all this pipeline management, DBT is like another great example of this. DBT is just a very, very fast way for us to build data models in a repeatable, sane process. And so this is why you're seeing this revolution in data tooling is because data has started to scale so much faster than it ever has before. Igor, one point you made that I think is really interesting that we haven't talked a lot about is the context around the problem. And it's funny because earlier this week on the marketing side, we have lots of data pipelines that run and do our reporting. And there was a number that just kind of seemed a little bit off and it wasn't off enough to like be super concerning, but I was just like, oh, that, that's really interesting. Like, is that correct? So anyways, I went through that, that the context I think is something that's really hard to translate, right? So if you think about marketing, going to the data engineer, there's so much context that the marketer has around these are the campaigns we're running and these are the conversion rates that we're looking at and all that stuff that the data engineer doesn't have. What are, how, how do you address that problem? And in many ways, I think it's in some ways it gets, it transcends the tooling and gets into the cultural aspects, but I would just love to know the ways that you approach that problem or have approached that in the past. And what does a successful relationship look like there between downstream teams who have context and the data engineer who's making sure the pipelines are running? I think that's a really interesting question. Because there's really two sides to this problem as, as you surfaced. One side is really organizational. From an organization perspective, you have disparate roles that don't really understand each other's domain. You don't have marketers don't understand data pipelines. They maybe they're writing some basic SQL, but they're probably not at the level of what the data engineer is doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Then you have the data engineer who just says, well, I'm already overwhelmed with all of this data that I need to move over into the warehouse. I don't have time to understand every single business domain. And so I think the right answer is to make them meet in the middle and bring the two knowledge bases together into a way that they can both benefit from each other. Mm. And so something that... Uh, 
Big Eye sets out to do is to build a tool that allows for that process to happen. We want to allow users to express their expectations around their data in a way that is understandable to the business user so the business user can bring their context over. If they say that, well, we expect our average uh, sale price or average number of uh, views on an ad to be some around 200, they have that information and they should be able to provide that information into a data quality monitoring tool, hmm. which, which we do that through a simple to understand WYSIWYG UI so that someone can just come in and say, this is exactly what I'm expressing here. Yeah. But on the flip side, it needs to be scalable enough where the data engineer can say, okay, this thing is alerting me. It's saying that something is wrong with this data set. Where do I even start? Mm. And so that should then be able to provide enough context to the data engineer to say, well, it's this table. Here's the um, a metric that's alerting you. Here's some SQL that you can start running right now to try to help debug it. And I think that in the future, this th then extends even further into really joint runbooks. This issue fired, the data engineer knows what they need to do in order to, uh, to do a, fix it on the infrastructure side. But then the marketer can then come in and contribute to the same runbook and say, by the way, here is the expectation. Here's why this is the expectation. So now you have context around why this is a problem. Interesting. It's almost like really good like error logging in a way, right? Like if you think about like a lot of detail around here's the basis of the problem, here's where you should start troubleshooting. Like it's super interesting. It's like a stack trace for a software. Yeah. You yeah. you you look you look at the next thing down and you're like, okay, well, great. Where what line of code caused that? What line of code caused that? I think it's just so much harder in data because there is no stack trace for data. Yeah. If I if I could have like any tool at the snap of a finger, it would be a stack trace for data where you can say here are the 10 records here that are causing this. And they, by the way, they actually came from here and they came from here. And I know lineage, lineage is a very, very popular topic nowadays, but no one's doing lineage to the degree of at the record level. Software engineering has, software engineering has this line in this file caused your exception. Yep. Data has, at, at best, this is something interesting that's going on in your data, but which like 100 <laughs> records out of the 10 billion that I loaded today are causing this, good okay. luck. And it, it's easy for some cases. Sometimes you can say, okay, well, this column should never be null. And so if you have a null record in there, fine. This is a very easy filter, easy fix. But what if your average moves? Or what if you're using you're doing some machine learning and your distribution shifts, like your variance goes up? What caused that? Well, could be anything. It's you can't really tell. And so I think it's just so much trickier in data than it is in software to pinpoint these problems. Yeah, absolutely. And the way that something that I observed like all this time that you are talking, you're like, it seems that quality is something that it touches pretty much like every part of the organization, right? Like it starts from the hardware that you use over there, right? Uh, up to 
how the VP of marketing, for example, interprets the numbers, right? And I want to ask you, it sounds like a very big problem, like it's hard, hard even to define, right, as a problem. Talking about quality is easy to use like the term quality, but at the end, if you want to solve the problem, you need like a better definition of the problem. So how do you define at Big Eye quality? So I think that's really interesting because everyone, I agree with you, everyone defines data quality differently. In our viewpoint, data quality is about the quality of the final data product. So I, I, I'm going to take a step back and I use the word data product a lot, but if you think about software, it's very easy to define what is the end deliverable for software. It's usually a website, an API, an SDK, what, whatever it is, that is the product. And when something goes wrong with that product, it's immediately apparent what is going wrong. If you go to your web page and it throws an error, then that your product is broken. For data, it's important to define what are those data products. Now, a lot of the times, data engineers will say, this table is the data product. My deliverable is the fact that this table exists in the warehouse and it's being updated consistently. But you need to take a few steps forward from that because that table is then used by uh, used in ETLs, goes into other tables, which then eventually go into a dashboard, a machine learning model, maybe feeding some sort of product, some sort of product functionality for your core application. So that is the end deliverable for the data team. And so then it's important to measure quality at that stage. It's important to understand that my KPI dashboard is good to use. My product is the KPI dashboard. Now there might be 10 tables that are going into this dashboard. No one really cares about the tables. People care about looking at the dashboard at the end of the day. The tables are helpful in order to inform us about what could cause this dashboard to go wrong? What could cause this data product to, to be broken? And at Big Eye, we have a concept of SLAs, which our customers use to define the state of data products. So if you think about SLAs from software, the service level agreements, it's the ability to say, when is my application available? And when would I consider it unhealthy, broken, and across and which metrics are contributing into that. So for applications, that's error rates, late, uh, latency, throughput, whatever, however you want to define uh, your SLA. For data products, it becomes the combined metrics that you are measuring about the underlying datas, data sources. So for example, let's say I have my KPI dashboard let's say I have two tables feeding into that, my users table and my sales table, right? Now, if my sales table is delayed, for example, or all of a sudden we notice that there are negative values in the sales amount column, which should never happen. Then I can say this table is unhealthy because this metric is outside of its expected range mm -hmm. in the same way that you could do that for latency. 
And then that can then flow into your data product and say, the KPI dashboard is unhealthy because something that's feeding that KPI dashboard is has turned unhealthy because one of the metrics has gone outside of an expected range. And so the KPI dashboard has an SLA. That SLA is now red. It's violated because an underlying metric has violated that SLA. And so we measure quality at that end product level, but enable users to build up that SLA from the underlying components, from those metrics that we are using to measure the state hmm. of the data. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. You're mentioning as an example of uh, data products, usually like the outcome of BI, which is like reporting, right? What other data products you see usually in, uh, in an organization today? Machine learning models are going to be the most popular ones today. Mm -hmm. And it's actually interesting because BI is the most easily understood and grasped example of a data product because there is a dashboard that you can see on a screen. It's very easy to understand when that goes wrong. There are a lot more data products today that are more automated and less apparent when they go wrong. So mm -hmm. machine learning models are a great example of this. These machine learning models, you have a training data set. It's going to go build that model. And then it's going to use that model to make some sort of prediction. And usually that, usually that model feeds some sort of product functionality. So at the end of the day, if we want to talk about the machine learning model being the end data product or that product functionality being the end data product, it doesn't really matter. Usually that's pretty one-to-one. -one. So let's talk about the machine learning model. Mm -hmm. Now, if the data going into that model that's used for training is incorrect in some way, and this is the classic uh, phrase, garbage in, garbage out. If that data is incorrect, then your end data product is going to be wrong. And this is actually extremely costly to the business, even more so than a broken dashboard, because a broken dashboard, a human's going to look at this and make a decision about whether to trust the data or not, and whether to make a decision about the data or not. If you have a machine learning model, no human's looking at that. The first person that's going to notice is the customer trying to use the product feature. Hmm. Let, even let's go back to the example of Uber. Even let's say you have a machine learning model that says this is how far away we're going to, um, how far away we'll accept drivers to uh, accept a pickup. And let's say that model trained on bad data, and now it's saying all of our drivers are coming from half an hour away because we are failing to dispatch anyone closer. Well, that's a problem. And that's a customer facing problem. They're gonna stop using the app. That's immediate impact to the business. And it's dangerous because no one's looking at it. No one's looking at the model and saying, well, what's the model doing? And sure, you sometimes you have really tight feedback loops that can measure the outputs of the model and say that, okay, something looks wrong, let's roll it back. But most businesses don't have this and most organizations don't build this into any sort of automated flow. And so if you look at the, you must monitor that data quality of those training data sets and you have to monitor it holistically enough and deeply enough to be able to detect issues that can cause these things. And a lot of times those training data sets aren't monitored at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be, it would be great if even the inputs to those training data sets were monitored, but even those sometimes aren't monitored. 
And so now you have a bunch of like, who knows what's going into this model and you just expect it to work. And that's just not how machine learning works. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, okay, we are talking about like a range of like different data products where the stakeholders involved in them are like different, right? So who is the person who defines the SLAs for big guy? Because if I understand correctly, that's where everything starts, right? Like someone has to define the SLA and then the SLA is... Uh, attached to a number of metrics that you are calculating yep. below the SLA and you come up with the, with the warnings. So who is the responsible entity? So SLAs need to be agreements between the uh, both parties. And when I say both parties, the way that I see data teams organized is really into two uh, segments, data producers and data consumers. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, there's going to be somebody who is producing the data that you are using. So you typically, these are data engineers. If in an even easier example is third-party data. Let's say Facebook is sending you your impressions and your all your ad metrics. They probably have an SLA with you that says, we promise to deliver this on this cadence and it's going to be complete and so on and so forth. That SLA is between the data producer, Facebook, and the data consumer, which is your team. Now, within an organization, same thing. A data engineer is a data uh, producer. And then the data consumer is usually the analyst, the data scientist building the ML model, the product engineer who's actually consuming some some data feed and then using it in the product. So the SLA needs to be a contract between both of them. And so within an organization, sometimes it's a little bit tricky because there are different expectations of what the data should look like from the data, uh, the consumer and the producer, but they can at least meet in the middle and say, all right, I expect this data to be updated daily. And then the producer might say, yep, that's totally reasonable. We're updating it more frequently already. So that's a totally reasonable expectation. Once they come together and set that expectation, that can then go into the SLA. The SLA for that data product now includes that expectation. And you can, you can go down the list and make all of these expectations. And then I, the interesting part here is there can be auxiliary SLAs. You can have your core SLAs where full stop, is this data product good or not? So is it on time? Is it complete? Are there any serious anomalies in data? Nulls, bad formats, uh, incomplete data feeds. We expected 1,000 records. We got 200. But then what we actually see our customers do is build auxiliary SLAs. So the data consumers are then saying, well, we have expectations about what the actual data should look like. And that might not even be the problem of the data engineer building the pipeline. This might actually be a, we instrumented logging in correctly in our product. And by the time that it got here, something looks wrong. And so then they will go and instrument their own expectations around what the data looks like. We expect to have three product tiers and any other values are invalid. We expect a specific range of numbers when we are looking at how much we're charging users. Maybe it's somewhere between $1 and $100 because we know we don't have anything outside of that range. And if it's outside of that range, then the data itself is bad. I shouldn't be using it. And so it really depends on what that SLA is trying to represent. But usually the way that we see it is there is a joint SLA 
that just is that fundamental is this data good answers that fundamental is this data good question and then there's the secondary slas around well what does the data look like and is it meeting my expectations as a consumer of it mm-hmm. how do you bring these people together as part of big eye because From what I understand, like it's something quite important that affects also at the end the outcome of the product itself, right? A wrong SLA, for example, a not well-defined SLA or the thresholds of the SLA not being right, at the end might affect like the value that big guy delivers. So how do you handle human nature at the end and <laughs> how people can communicate or in most cases cannot communicate. Really light question here. Oh, for yeah, this is a, a softball. Yeah. <laughs> how, how do you solve massive organizational issues with <laughs> I think that's something that we'll always have to work on. At Big Eye, our goal is to build a product that allows for people to come together and def- talk about these very important topics. Mm-hmm. I think there's the flip side to it, as you mentioned, that human nature side of people just don't want to do that. People want to focus on their work and their problems. And for us, a lot of that is just education. Even me coming on the show, someone's going to listen to this and think, oh, maybe I should go talk to my data scientist and just wonder what's important to you about your data. Mm-hmm. Yep. And even just taking those small steps of education is important to us. From a product perspective, I don't think a product can ever solve organizational issues. Yeah. And the only way to do that is through education and through Really, at the end of the day, empathy. You have to have empathy for your coworker. You have to understand that they are yeah. also just trying to do their job and help understanding what makes their life a little bit easier is just going to make for a better organization overall. Yeah, it's very interesting. The reason that I am asking is because I've seen many companies that they're building one way or another like data-related products and Most of them, they have also to tackle some kind of organizational obstacle there, because I think it's the nature when we, when you're working with data, it's like one thing is manage the infrastructure, like the technology, blah, 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 like all that stuff. But at the end, you have pretty much the whole company as a stakeholder who's going to consume this data. So it's always a collaborative game at the end. And I have at least seen a couple of different ways that companies are trying like to solve these problems. One is the common, let's say the GitHub approach, right? We are trying to build like a collaborative platform where people can get on the platform and collaborate and blah, 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 put them on a workflow and all that stuff. Education, that's like a very, very good point. And I think this is where also like marketing from the perspective of the company becomes like an amazing tool because you can educate Um, your users and customers. And then there's also because you mentioned you mentioned Looker. And one of the things that always impressed me with Looker is how they solved an organizational problem, which in their case was like making sure that they separate the data engineer and the business user as much as possible. And they did that by providing LookML for the developer to create the modeling and then a user interface, which is as mm. easy as Excel for someone to use and do pivots. And the two people, okay, they have to talk to each other, but at least like the whole communication is, is much easier. Have you ever had to implement a LookML model in production? Yeah. 
I had. <laughs> well, I said they tried. I didn't say they succeeded, okay? <laughs> the, the, the reason I ask is because it's, if you completely separate the two, you're never going to get anything meaningful out yeah. of it. Yeah, because for the model to be meaningful, it, you need that input from the business and that stakeholder in order to know what needs to go into it. Yeah, the the pivot table stuff is great, and I mean Tableau did the same thing. Tableau extracts are meant to do the same thing, which is well, here is a pre-built data set that you can now go and WYSIWYG and drag and drop your way around. But without knowing what needs to go into that data set, you're just going to get into that same cycle yeah. of. The, cons uh, the stakeholder is going to come back to you and say, oh, this doesn't exist in my model. And then you're going to go at it. And then they're going to say, well, why is this filter on here? And you're like, I don't know. Somebody else told me to do that. And so it's just yeah. going to go this yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, I was going to say, I think, Acostas, that's a really interesting observation. A few thoughts here. So one, and I'm making some assumptions here. This is a little bit of a hot take. So Igor, please correct me if I'm wrong, but if you think about data quality, there are different, it happens at different places in the stack or in the data flow, right? So like one thing that we've talked about a lot on the show and that Costas and I talk a lot about is tracking plans. That in, absolutely gets right at the heart of organizational problems, right? Because it gets to like shared definitions and then like new processes and all of these things, right? And I mean, there are some really interesting companies doing some really cool things with tracking plans. And I know there are some great solutions out there, but it's a really hard organizational problem because a lot of companies just don't do it, right? I mean, the bottom line is like, it's just, you have your work to deliver and like tracking plans slow things down and there are demands on the teams and collaboration is hard in general. And so that's sort of a difficult organizational problem to solve. When you were talking about SLAs, and I'm gonna speak specifically to the BI use case because I think the ML one is a lot more complicated. But what's interesting is I was thinking about even just my own day-to-day -day and it's in, the way that Big Eye is approaching it through the paradigm of SLAs is really interesting because even in our organization, a lot of those are just already like already defined, even if they're not made explicit. Like I know what my SLAs are for the marketing dashboard, right? And I haven't necessarily like written that down or gone to tell the person who's writing DBT models or whatever and those conversations come up organically, but I know those, right? So those are, it's not difficult for me to mine that information. I already know that. And so it's interesting when we think about the organizational challenge, like a product that formalizes something that already exists on some level, but just hasn't been made explicit and then adds collaboration, I think is really interesting. And I think that that's like a, I think that's where a, a really well done product can actually really facilitate that. I won't speak to the machine learning because that seems, and I'm, I'm not technical, so that seems like a much more difficult problem, but it seems like a lot of the SLAs already exist in the organization. There's just not a great way to formalize them. And a lot of it is just getting it out of people's heads. Like, like <laughs> you said, you have an SLA in your head. You know what you expect out of this data. But a lot of the tools that data teams build internally are usually very technical and they're very geared towards the data engineering team. They usually involve writing some sort of SQL or configuration or checking in code even sometimes or updating the ETL. And those can capture a lot of the basic information, 
again, the like how fresh is my data? How many records am I, uh, do I have? But it's not going to get all of that stakeholder knowledge in there. Yeah. So that's why any data quality tool needs to be able to be accessible enough to extract that information for the stakeholders, the data consumers to come in and actually express what mm. they have in their head. Because at least that gives you a starting point. Yeah. You can at least go and put that, write that down, create that configuration, start that monitoring. And when it goes off, you can then go to your data engineering team and say, here were my expectations of this data. Which one of these did I get wrong? Hmm. Do you understand something that I'm not understanding? And do I need to adjust my expectations? Yeah. And a lot of times they, uh, the data cons uh, producer team, the data engineering team might say, nope, you got that right. And this is a real issue. We just didn't know about it. Thanks for flagging mm. that. Yeah. But it's important to first and foremost, get that out of your head, get that out of the stakeholder's yeah. head and in a place where somebody can see it, visualize it and understand it. And then that will prompt that conversation. Sure. Well, I, we're getting uh, close to time here, but one thing I'd like to talk about is to kind of get specific on when we think about data quality and we think about Big Eye as a tool that helps solve that. One thing we talk a lot about on the show is that, and you mentioned this with Uber, right? Like the data problems at Uber scale are, are very different than data problems at a much smaller company. What are the symptoms that you think and maybe that you even see with your customers that necessitate like, okay, we need to start thinking about data quality and tooling around that. Are there particular tools in the stack or data pipelines that are indicative of the need for this? I just love to give our listeners a sense of when, when is the, I mean, it's kind of an acute need, like, like you said, everyone faces a data quality problem and everyone's probably faced it this week, but in, from the big eye perspective, when do you need to implement tooling? I mean, in a very biased answer, as soon as you have data in a warehouse, you probably want data quality tooling. Yeah. In a more objective answer, it really depends. My gut feel would always come from how much time are you spending on data quality problems? Mm. And this is typically a question for the data engineering side, but it can, it works for the business as well. Yeah. How much time are you wasting looking at dashboards that are broken? On the data engineering side, how much time are you spending fielding questions from the business about why their stuff's broken? Or can you look into this query and tell me what's going wrong? Yep. Because one question a week, fine. Yep. But if you're spending five hours, 10 hours a week, just debugging people's SQL to help them understand what's going wrong, you might want to invest in something that's a little bit more automated. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, people just want to do the job that's fun. They want to do their job. They want to do the fun parts of it. Yeah. For the business that's getting new insights, making decisions, dr driving direction. For the data engineers, that's I want to build frameworks and I want to build, create new pipelines and explore new tooling. And neither side can do that if there's too many data quality problems because they get in the way. And so at some point, the business will have this critical point. We at Big Eye actually have a term called the oh shit moment, which is at, at what point 
had, did you have such a big data quality problem that it completely derailed the whole business? Say KPIs were wrong. Sales numbers were wrong. A, a product rollout couldn't be tracked because the instrumentation wasn't correct and no one noticed for a week until you went to pull the report. So at some point, you're going to have that moment and you're going to realize we can never have a moment like that again. We need to start worrying yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Costas, I'd be interested in your thought on this. But the, so, Igor, my is a little bit of a leading question because I had kind of my own thought is as I think about this and I'm just putting it through the lens of my own experience, for me, the trigger would almost be like I have all my data in my warehouse. You start to build out dashboards, but then you go through this weird period where your dashboards aren't stable because you have all this data and you're just trying to figure out what should I measure? How should I measure it? And then you you get to a point where you're like, okay, this is the dashboard that the marketing team is looking at every single day. And these are the numbers. And like, then you have a baseline from which derivations become really important. And that's the like SLAs in your head. So to me, it's almost like, okay, the first signs of dashboard stability give you your initial set of SLAs when you can measure from. But would you agree with that, Costas? Because you've done, I mean, all sorts of reporting, especially on the product side. Yeah, I would agree with the biased uh, version of Igor's opinion, to be honest. Like the sooner you have at least some principles, I mean, you might not want to start using like a product or something, but at least have some principles to check Mm. what's going on with the customer facing side of your data product, let's say, okay, which is, I don't know, like the, your dashboard, for example, I think the better you are going to be. I mean, it's, it's amazing how many times I've heard from like pretty big companies, data engineers coming to us and be like, oh, we just realized that this pipeline stopped running three weeks ago. Whoa, like something is feeding like like this pipeline is feeding something right so why it takes so long like to feed? because that's the, the mm. that's a great point this oh shit moment like usually it's like very late when this happens and someone is angry right you might have your board meeting and you don't have your numbers okay nice fun right <laughs> that's the where you have like the the common excuse we are still working on our metrics infrastructure until next <laughs> It's part of our OKRs, right? Reporting infrastructure is closed. It's an OKR next <laughs> But yeah, I think the, the, the sooner you do that, the better. And one of the reasons is outside of like, okay, avoiding these OSHET moments is because like people, especially people that they start working for the first time, like with data to understand and educate themselves that like data, always something will go wrong with them. There's no perfect data out there. It's, I mean, pretty much can be proven in like computer science that you cannot have that period. Okay. So I remember, for example, I'll give an example that I kept like remembering while Igor was like talking. The first time, I mean, when we started Blendo, we were using at the beginning Google Analytics, right? So we were taking like the numbers and like measuring from there. Then we started using Mixpanel and we were like, oh, we have another data source like with the same data. Let's compare the two now that we have them like on our data warehouse. And of course they didn't match, right? Okay, what do you do now? 
But the most important thing is like, not just like how you are going to tackle the problem, but realizing that this is the reality that you are going to be operating in. And getting into this habit of caring about data quality will make you like understand and incorporate this as part of uh, your business practices, which is like, in my opinion, is probably super important to start as soon as you start reporting, even on an Excel document, like some numbers to your board. The, the more you wait, the worse the problem is going to get. Oh, shit. (laughs) Well, I also think about something that Costas says a lot, which is it's easy to talk about data in a way that it's, it almost comes across as static, but the reality is data is changing a lot, right? New pipelines are added. Other pipelines are deprecated, right? Like it is never static within an organization and the complexity is only increasing. Even, even within a pipeline. I mean, even, even taking, looking at just one pipeline, because there's plenty of I've seen teams that have one table and like, this is our event log table. It is 500 columns wide and it stores every single event that happens in our whole product. And those, even those pipelines can go wrong, even if nothing changes about the pipeline. There's no new pipeline, yep. but you stop publishing a signup event and all of a sudden your conversion goes to zero because no one's signing up. Yeah. Even within a pipeline, things can go wrong. And like, even their data is never static. Totally. Well, we are, we're at the buzzer here. Igor, before you jump off, if someone wants to learn more about Big Eye, try it, where, where should they go? What should they do? They can go to bigeye.com. They can also email me, Igor at bigeye.com. Awesome. This has been such a fun conversation. So many rabbit holes we could have gone down. We'll have to save that for another episode. And uh, thank you again for giving us some of your time to have uh, to talk shop about data. It's great. It was, it was my pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. I love talking to our guests. They're just so smart and we learn so many things. My big takeaway is the paradigm of SLAs. And I love the framework that Igor used to talk about SLAs for data products. And I think that's just a a really, really smart way to approach the data quality problem. So I'm even thinking about that for my own day-to-day work. So I just really appreciated that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I would say that it's like a broader theme in the way that he was approaching the problem of building data, data data quality related product. If you notice that there were like two main things that happened during our conversation. One was the use and the definition of the term SLA, which comes like from software engineering, right? And there is again, like the usage of the term data product, which he also defined exactly. And it's again, like a term that we are much more familiar when it comes to like software, but it's something that we can reuse also in, in data. And I think that's what Igor and Big Eye, what they're trying to do is get a number of best practices and principles that they but much more mature in like, mature in uh, software engineering and apply all these like also the problem of data management and data consumption, and I think they're doing a pretty good job. And I'm really looking forward to have another uh, follow up episode with him because we just I think we just scratched the surface of uh, quality. We didn't even uh, talk what happens after we define the SLAs. So there are many more things that we can discuss with Igor, and I'm really looking forward like to do that in the imminent future. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for joining us on the show and we'll catch you on the next episode. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Data Stack Show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app to get notified about new episodes every week. We'd also love your feedback. You can email me, Eric Dodds, at eric at datastackshow.com. That's E-R-I-C at datastackshow.com. The show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. Learn how to build a CDP on your data warehouse at rudderstack.com. Rudderstack.com.